The Whole Life Success Show, Episode 18. Discover your path to success with the truth, fresh perspectives, and the real-life advice that you need in order to achieve life success. Hello, Life Warriors, and welcome back to the Whole Life Success Show. I'm your host, Paul Mantello, and I'm glad to have you back today. On today's show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Marilyn Wilson. Marilyn is a freelance writer, editor, and author of Life Outside the Box. She also co-launched a successful, innovative magazine focused on professionals working in the fashion industry. So turn up the volume, Life Warriors, and listen in as we hear about Marilyn's incredible journey that makes her a true life warrior. Hello, Marilyn, and welcome to the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. I've already got goosebumps. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. I mean, I've read a little bit about you. Uh, I've seen your bio, and I spoke to you earlier, and I'm just really excited to get into your story because it truly is an amazing story. I guess where I'd like to start, Marilyn, is just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your upbringing. I hear that you were the daughter of a preacher, so or a pastor, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me what that was like growing up. I, my young years were in a very, very strict religious environment, landed in Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, a minister's daughter is required to be part of the vision. Um, and so when the little blonde girl came along, they were very excited, and then they found out who I really was. I have a mind that races. I had no idea everybody didn't think that way, so I was very impatient easily frustrated, um, intense emotionally. I, I was so curious about the world and would start a project but hardly ever finish them. And also a great emotional radar for how people are feeling. And while that's a positive now, back then, the disapproval was was something I was always aware of. I always say I could hear a mental tsk, tsk, tsk from across the room. So it was very difficult. I was not a very happy child, and it was very tough for my parents. They were very loving. But at the same time, um, I was a detriment. I was a ne- had a negative impact on their ministry, and so it was it was very tough growing up. I say I always felt like the little kid standing at the window looking in at the Christmas meal because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't figure out how to fit in. So I actually graduated a year early from high school, left at 17, and went off to university to study counseling. Um, I had a great passion for people still, and so that seemed like the appropriate direction at the time. Um, and I made it all the way through, a third of the way through my master's in counseling and drug abuse. I was getting honors in every program. And then one day, one of my professors started talking about what the work actually was like on a day-to-day basis, the number of suicides he'd had each year, and the difficulties people brought to them. And I realized, well, technically I could be good at that job. I, I honestly couldn't handle the emotional load. I didn't think I could come home and let it go every day that it would tear me apart. So out of the blue, I walked away. Wow, just like that, you picked up and you left. I did. I, I, I finished that semester. I picked up. I moved from Southern California to Seattle. Um, just made a whole change of lifestyle. And how did that affect the rest of your life, I guess? Um, there was 10 very lost years. You know, when you have such a vision from a young age of what you're going to be and what you're going to do, 
how do you find a new path? And and honestly, it was it was almost two decades. I got married. I had kids. I volunteered to teach science in kindergarten. I I did programs. I sewed dance costumes. I did anything I could to keep my mind busy and my curiosity at bay. Um, but it was very very tough. And then at forty nine, my kids didn't need my focus so much. They you know find something to do, mom. And I was sitting down at the computer one day and opened Craigslist and started perusing the jobs. And what popped out at me was a New York magazine that wanted fashion article submissions. My daughter had done a little local modeling. I knew a few names. I'd gotten A's in high school in, in uh, English. And I thought, how hard can this be? And trusting my intuition and being totally impulsive, I sent three story ideas off and two were accepted. Well, then I had to do it, and the interviewing was not a problem. I got those set up. My daughter contacted some photographers. We got that set up, and then I walked into my first interview, and my life totally shifted. I have goosebumps still 10 years later thinking about this. I had a little cassette recorder for $25. I turned it on, and then First Nations designer, artist, producer Denise Brillen started talking and history started unfolding, and and my love and curiosity about people and their their lives blossomed, and and I sat there for two hours, totally wrapped, just unbelievably overwhelmed, and I have never looked back. Interviewing, interviewing is still a passion and such a privilege for me. The reality was, when I walked away, I had to learn how to write a magazine article and pull all this together, and that was not easy. I had a friend who was a lovely older English lady who helped me with editing. Everybody I interviewed was given the opportunity to give me feedback, and sometimes it was brutal. Um, I cried, but everything went in, and then three months later, the magazine folded without my stuff in print. And again, what do I do now? I found my purpose. What do I do now? So after a year of, of having doors close in my face, literally, I was too old. I didn't have any credentials. I went to Craigslist again and literally said, I just want to interview and write. I don't care if I get paid and I have some some fashion community connections. Let me work. And met a photographer. And next thing I know, I was the owner of an innovative fashion magazine covering people working in our industry. Within a year, I had it built up 120,000 hits internationally. When my mother passed away in 2009, I used that money to finance a collectible edition, which we continue to do every every year. Um, it was my life. It was 15-hour days sometimes. I collapsed on the floor. There were tears. There were frustrations, and I learned on the job. I showed up at Fashion Weeks with no knowledge of the politics, dressed in my Kmart clothes and my Payless shoes and my Value Village accessories, and just stumbled my way through it and and it was hard but every interview I got that excitement back the only way I could get to those interviews was by writing it and taking this path so I'll be although it was very hard um, it was it was fabulous and then the dark days came again in 2012 when my partner and I needed to part ways we just had grown apart and had different directions And for six months, I just wrote on a blog and crawled into a hole until I began to realize that perhaps all the material on the cutting room floor, all this wonderful biographical material I have that's never made it into a print, could go into a book. And that was the beginning of my journey to becoming a a published author. Um, Couldn't figure out how to do it. Again, let intuition guide me. I ended up at a women's networking meeting where a publisher was speaking, a hybrid publisher, 
And from the moment she started speaking, again, that deep emotional impact in my life that this is this is the path. So a year and a half later, my book arrived. Wow. It was phenomenal. <laughs> it is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's, that's a really incredible story. And, you know, as you're speaking, I was listening to you and I kept thinking to myself, like, what was it that helped you get through all of those dark days, what was it if you could just say, like, I guess maybe if there was one primary thing that helped you move forward and continue forward to getting your dream, you know, to achieving that dream? Oh, it was very hard. Uh, a couple a couple things. One, all the interviews that I do um, changed me. They helped me understand that all those lumps and bumps and negatives that society when I was young wanted to shave off and improve and fix are actually my gifts. When I sit down to interview, these are my gifts, and to not use them was unthinkable. That was probably the first. Um, The second was a concept of Ujamaa that came to me. It's a day in Kwanzaa. It means cooperative economics. But what it means for me is is building an inner circle of people around me of like-minded individuals. We're not all doing the same thing, but our goal is to support each other. So I built a really strong community right around me, and sometimes they sat sat in the audience and cheered me on, and sometimes I sat in the audience and cheered them on. These are the people that that I called and that I texted when, when my finger was over the de- delete button in despair. My publisher is a part of that, Julie Salisbury. She's in my book. More than once, she pulled me back from the brink. It's It's so empowering to have heard 150 people tell you unique journeys. It's so empowering to have 150 people tell you about their dark days when they hit bottom and lost it all and had to build back. You know you can get through it. But deep down inside, the thought of stopping interviewing was, was just not possible. So, so yes, it, 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 but it took a community. I needed people to hold my hand. And I needed that knowledge that my journey was unique and that nobody could define it for me. I had to walk it the way my intuition told me. And if you could give your younger self a tip now, looking back, you know, that might be helpful to everyone else as well that's listening, what would that be? I love this question. You are my favorite interviewer. (laughs) I got asked this on Facebook the other day, and without even thinking, I said, they were wrong. It just bubbled up. And so I actually had to stop for a minute and think about it. And and what that meant for me at 20 and 30 and 40 and even 50, I was being so hard on myself for, for my socially unacceptable quirks. I wish at 20 I could have recognized that those are my unique talents. They're what make me an individual, and I just hadn't found the right garden to plant them in yet. I, give yourself a break. Those things that maybe your outside world are telling you are negative traits really aren't. They're what make you unique. You're exactly the way you're supposed to be. And your job, if you want a job, is to explore until you figure out where they can be positive assets for you instead of things you're getting negative feedback for. I, If I could do that, that, that just would be the number one thing I'd do with a time machine. Absolutely. You think back and you say to yourself, we've all been there where, you know, we've experienced other people's, I guess, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, desires, you know, that they put you inside this box and they want you to be a certain way. And, you know, from listening to you, I'm 
thinking that that's kind of what your title is about. Could you tell us a little bit about you know the name? The of the title? Life outside the box: the extraordinary journeys of ten unique individuals. There you go. My publisher picked the title. I really struggle with titles. Um, I picked the subtitle, and it really defines my life. I kept trying to fit in. You know, I go to the PTA meetings and the the French immersion meetings and the the sports sit with the other women in in the sports stands and just feel how different I was from them. And trying to figure out what I was missing here, why why I couldn't do it. My brothers both fit in beautifully. You know, they they have hundreds of friends. Everybody loves them. I couldn't be that person. Yeah, so life outside the box, it's 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 giving people permission to live their life without apology, to find the path and and the the group of support people that that you belong with and to allow yourself to define things in your own way. What is my my definition of success? Every interview I did, I asked people to give me their definition of success. And then at one interview, I sat down and somebody asked me, and I was floored. I wasn't brought up to define success. I was never brought up I would be a success. I was a minister's daughter. You grew up to have a life of service. You would not have money. You would have children and go to church and support the minister. And success was a dirty word. And so how funny, 150 times I asked people their definition of success, and not once had I thought about what mine was. I think it's a question we all have to ask ask ourselves at some point because it guides our path. And it's so hard to turn off that tisk tisk o Maryland tape, or this isn't a job because you don't have a paycheck. Everything I did as a woman from the time I stayed home with my kids, even to writing, has not become a financially lucrative thing at this point. And because of that, it's viewed as a hobby. And and until I published an actual book, that that didn't change for my family in particular. So do I define success financially? Do I define success by happiness? What is your definition of success? And in that book, every single chapter, it's different. For some, it's business. For some, it's family. For some, it's health. And then you get my favorite, William Orlowski, who is this amazing Canadian tap icon, struggling with dystonia, all these health issues. And I've asked him it three times now. And every time he says, there is no secret, just do and be brave. For him, success means getting up every morning and doing something that's creative and makes his heart sing. And that ties right back to what you said earlier, which was we're all unique, we're all special, we all have our own gifts or quirks as other people may see them, but that's what helps define your success. You know, what success is for one person may not be true for another person, as you found. And your inner circle might have two people. Your inner circle might have 50. But even Ruthie Davis, the luxury shoe designer, says it takes a team to be successful. Nobody does it alone. Gear Ness, the perfume designer, I said, I'm not as confident as you, Gear. What do I do? He says, bring people around you that fill in for where you feel you are not strong. And it comes up again and again. So, again, for me, I always define it by Ujama, which is cooperative economics. We raise ourselves together. The village raises itself together. So who's inside your village? Outside your village, there's a whole world. Everybody can be there. But who do you keep closest to you? And they need to be people that you feel you're a benefit to just as much as they need to be a benefit to you. 
You need to walk hand in hand and help each other and walk the stairs together. That has changed my life immensely, immensely. I finally have the kind of friends I I need to have and want to have. I mean, growing up the way I did, how do you make friends? I had two brothers. What are women? You know, <laughs> suddenly I have friends around me that I value, and and that that they roll their eyes once in a while when I go off in an ADD binge and can't quit talking, and I laugh when they do something. We accept and embrace our uniqueness because we realize it's part of our talents. Yeah, and I absolutely can relate with you because. You know, I grew up in a similar fashion where I was looked at as the oddball. You know, people couldn't see what I saw. I see further than most people, and I'm sure you had similar. Um, well, and I on could it. feel what people were thinking around me. I'm not saying I could read their mind, but but still to this day, the worst moment for me is if somebody near me feels off, and I don't know if it's something I did. It's very hard for me to turn that radar off, and so I'm walking through a crowd being inundated by these feelings that other people don't feel. It's hard to be different, and it's hard to be very intense. We all want to walk out and get all this approval from the world around us, but sometimes to realize our true purpose in life, to do the job we're meant to do, we have to step in to own who we are without apology. We don't owe anybody an apology if we're being the best person we can. We just need to find the place that who we are is a benefit. In one of my interviews, this lady was a, a friend of mine was a gas broker and walked away from it to become a Zen chaplain. Now that's a true change of careers. And I talked to her about how hard it was when I got hurt to to let it go. And she gave me the best technique. All emotions are true and all emotions need to be experienced. The story that attaches them to you is the problem and it doesn't belong. So when you get your feelings hurt, when you're frustrated or angry or needing to scream, do it. Just do it. Just get it out of your system. Beat your pillow. Cry, whatever you need to do. But what you need to do is while you're doing that, not think about why you feel bad. You need to let the why go. And if you let go of the why, you can experience that emotions and it washes through you. And that has been life-changing for me personally, especially because I feel so many emotions. It has changed. And sometimes somebody's hurt you in a way that you find it bubble up once in a while and you just have to go through the process again. So let yourself be angry. Let yourself. Don't try to ignore it or deny it. Just don't don't accept the story that goes with it. Just don't. Just have a good cry because you're sad. Have a good rage because you're angry at this moment. And let those emotions just wash through and cleanse you. Try it. I can only say try it. It works. <laughs> or it works yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, and you know what I think it alludes back to the childhood. You know, growing up as a child, you're told, you know, like, don't be so soft. Don't be so sensitive. Don't cry. Don't be such a baby. You know, at the end of the day, I think it's getting back to knowing who you are and learning to deal with your emotions, building up some emotional intelligence. And, you know, having that circle of people, like even business professionals, you know, when you have a guy, you know, that can be as successful as anybody, they don't know everything, but they make sure that they hire the people that do know what it is that they don't know so that they can move forward. Does that make sense? Ruthie Davis, international shoe designer, sits next to Jimmy Choo in Milan Fashion Week. She said, if it wasn't for my team, I wouldn't be here. And they are good. I put the best team around me I can. I built the best team I can. 
I think the other thing we have to accept, and this is going to happen more and more because of the way the world is moving and the speed of technology, is most of us are going to have to change careers over our lifetime. Um, When my kids were in elementary school, they said most kids in elementary school will probably have four different careers in their lifetime because things are changing so quickly. So giving yourself permission to think about new new interests, new ways of going. Um, I always tell people it's never too late. My mother, uh, my dad died at 55. There was no pension. And my mother walked into a local Christian university, applied for an office job, spent 10 years learning office equipment and computers and all that. At 65, she proposed a mentorship program for the, the women in residence. The school accepted. She ran it for 22 years, so she had a 32-year career starting at 55. And when she passed away, she had a a memorial in her honor at at the university, and that program is still running today. But you've heard my story. My publisher at 35 was at the top of her career in, in England. She'd come from working class with the Margaret Thatcher encouragement and became absolutely fabulous product developer. She had the BMW, the condo. She was traveling the world opened the curtains one day from her five-star hotel to look out in abject poverty and just had a an epiphany that all the things she was told that would make her happy didn't. And she walked away and lived in a boat for seven years till she found a new path. Finding a new path isn't always easy, but I do think we have to be open to our intuition because sometimes a career that's been satisfying has reached its end. I think we always need to be curious, to be learning, to listen to our intuition, get quiet, listen to our intuition. What's it telling us? Because sometimes opportunities are coming along to make a change that that would be welcome. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I believe in meditating as well. And I've had podcast shows about meditation and the importance of intuition because it does play a vital role in getting to know yourself and just quieting down all the noise so that you can take a step back and realize it. And, you know, I think a major part of the problem, too, is that society's caught in this, uh, in the middle of this shift. We left the industrial age, but yet a lot of people are still working as if we are in the industrial age. So with technology, yeah, things are changing so fast that you can't not change with it. If you find people that say, no, you know what, I'm not going to change. I refuse to change. You know, change is not good. You turn around and say, well, what happened to the dinosaurs? You know, (laughs) you want to still be like a dinosaur. You're going to end up like a dinosaur, and that's extinct. So that's where your meditation comes in. Because when you clear your mind and try not from a logical standpoint, your intuition will bubble up some answers you haven't thought of. I mean, there's no way... I should publish a book. 1,300 books hit the hit the newsstands every day. Most of them tank. There's 8 million titles on Amazon, I think. Succeeding is hard. Um, if you look at the hardcore facts, you go, oh, what's the point? The truth of the matter is I'm doing what I'm meant to do. And so sometimes you have to put all this stuff in, let it cook, and then use techniques to clear your mind and let your mind just roam. See what bubbles up and trust that that's your intuition. It's gotten the information, it's processed it. It's not just a whim. And and the other part of it is we forget the whole name of what we are, which is human beings, and we get stuck being human doings. You know, we're always trying to do, 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 but we never stop to just be in the moment. Just like a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about it, and I said, wow, I said, you know what, the world is round, you know, and that might not sound like a big deal because we know this for a long time now. But if you really stop 
and you quiet your mind and you can think of something as tremendous as that because it really is that big because the world is round, right? And we could be standing right now where you are. You could be standing on top of my head or I could be upside down. I could be sideways and somehow nothing falls apart. I mean, yeah, we have gravity and all of that, but just look at how incredible the whole system is on how everything is around you and just try to take things in and enjoy life for what it was meant to be instead of chasing all of these illusions that are, you know, false uh, trails to happiness. Because you see so many people chasing things, like you said, it's like, well, I thought this was going to make me happy. I thought that was going to make me happy. And what it all comes back to, I believe, is that you don't really know yourself. You don't really know why you're doing it. And most of the times you're doing it for somebody else and it's not even for yourself. You're trying to prove something to somebody instead of just trying to get to know exactly what your purpose is like you found. I think it's a real challenge, especially in this day and age, to shut out the noise. The TV tells us every day that we should be drinking wine, traveling the world, have lots of money, live in big houses. Our kids should be go to the top university, be the valedictorian. They must know how to ski, how to golf. They need to be athletes as well as smart. I felt sorry for my kids. I did the best I could to take that pressure off, but we live in a society that put tremendous, it's it's not, oh, get married, buy a house, and live it and, and work a job till you pay it off. That, that's not the goal anymore. Oh, my goodness, if you haven't traveled overseas by the time you're 30, what's wrong with you? It's so hard to shut out that noise of expectations. And really, the only expectations in our life should come from inside. What makes us happy? Where do we think we should be going? But it is not easy in the kind of environment we live in now. We are blasted all the time with high expectations of a certain type. And and not all of us can achieve that um, or want to achieve it. It's not where some of us are supposed to be. So I, I have a great empathy for people. I hear it all the time in 20-year-olds, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Well, you're 20. It's okay. You don't have to know at 20. You just start, you know. So I do think we live under tremendous pressure and learning to probably your techniques with meditation and I know bike riding for me help shut out the noise long enough that I can hear myself because it's it's very difficult. Yeah, and I think that's the key is learning how to find that quiet time for yourself. You know, shut everything down. And I had an interview the other day and we were talking about meditation and we hit upon the fact that Many people do meditate without realizing it. Like you just mentioned, you know, you bike ride, right? So a lot of people wouldn't think bike riding is meditation. But when I drive, I meditate. So yeah. it's just finding a time that's quiet where, you know, there's no distractions and yeah. you find yourself at peace. I have a racing mind. Meditation is always a challenge. So I have guided meditations where they kind of give you a talk and then ding and ding so I don't have to pay attention. But I still find when I'm riding a bike, everything bubbles up. Everything that's gnawing on me bubbles up. And by the end of the ride, it's it's been spit out. The calm comes at the end of the ride. It's just my way of, of releasing all the things that are inside. And I didn't know that. I only started bike riding a year ago um, when, when uh, my husband and I were going to go to Europe. And he loves to bike ride, so I signed up for a bike ride. And so I got back on the bike since I think my kids were little. I hadn't been on it. And it took about a month when I began to realize what was happening. My mind would chew and chew and rock and rock, and all of a sudden it get calmer and calmer and calmer. By the end, it was peaceful. And so everybody has to find that path because 
because we're all different. For some, it might be Tai Chi. For some, it might be quiet, quiet sitting. For some, it might be an exercise or music. Or, but I do think we all have a way to find that spot in ourselves. And that's another way to get rid of all that media. You know, try to have a quiet time, shut things down. You know, mm-hmm. set a time where, you know, like maybe 9 o'clock, an hour before bed, whatever it is, two hours before mm-hmm. bed. Just tune it all off. You know, make mm-hmm. sure you spend some time with your family. Make sure you spend mm-hmm. some time with the people that are in your circle, the people that are there to support you, and make sure that you're supporting them back and try not to get lost up in all this, you know, social media and everything mm-hmm. else that's going out there in the and, world. And for me, that was hard because I walked into an industry when we this magazine started. I knew nobody. I worked long, hard days. I never had time for anybody. I was... Uh, um, I was falling apart sometimes, and and when I went to write my book, I realized it would never get written unless I started clearing my slate. Clearing my slate meant I wasn't at the events to keep my profile up. How do you balance all that? And finally, one day, I just had to walk away. And as I move back into it, I'm trying to be more careful and 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 take my time and and really pick and choose. You you began to feel you need to be at everything. You need to appear everywhere. You need to talk every time you're asked. You need to be at every party you're asked. You begin to take this on. And you must find this as a motivational speaker that trying to balance that and and truly walk away and not check your phone. When I'm home, my cell phone's off. And from probably 3 o'clock on, I don't go on the computer. I And that's hard, but I've had to learn to do that. If I don't, I never stop working. Yeah, and it's just like anything else. I mean, it's, you know, the first few weeks is the toughest. It's like going on a diet. You know, in the beginning, it becomes a big pain. It's a hassle. But once you get acclimated to it, you know, it just becomes second nature. It becomes routine. And then when you, you know, then it's like running across that piece of chocolate cake and you look at it and you're like, meh, I don't really want it. Well, the cell phone has made it tough for most people I know in business now because they're, they're running their own business. Their cell phone is their office. And turning that off for an hour to have lunch, they're worried they'll miss a client. They're they're worried they'll miss a job. I think the cell phone has made it very difficult for entrepreneurs to shut out the noise. And they do need to learn to shut out the noise. You have to learn that the world will not end in one hour. The world will not end in two hours. And if your clients are aware that you have divided your work and family time, they will live with that. But you have to do it right from the start. The, the number of meetings I have with 20-year-olds and their phones on the top, oh, I'm sorry, I have to take this. <laughs> you know, you've got to learn to walk away. Yeah, and it makes you say, you know, what did we do 15 years ago? <laughs> you know, we didn't have this technology. When people went home from work, even if they ran their own business, were no longer at work. Unless you were handing out your home landline. You did not work when you got home, and you didn't have access to a computer to check it. It came, you did the morning mail, and that was it for mail you know, and now we've got emails coming in 24/7 and texts and phones and stuff. We have chosen some great technology. It's wonderful, but we are not putting the limits on it. We need to to have a private life, and we're paying the price. I mean, the people I know that are tremendously stressed are they're very high, and and even myself. And so I, we all have to learn those techniques, and we all have to learn how to walk away sometimes. And the bottom line is you have to learn how to respect and value yourself, your time, your family, and set those boundaries. There's nothing wrong with it. But even in my 20s, as I got older, I began to date men who were looking for a second marriage and wanting to start over again because they blew it so badly the first time. 
They had no connection with their children, with their wife. The whole thing dissolved. And now that they've built their business, they wanted to try again with a new woman and and do it right the second time. So I think it is a a problem we have had all along. It's just the technology has made it um, harder to walk away. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this has been some great information, really in-depth conversation here. Um, When you've listened to 150 people tell their story, you learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I didn't even realize it. I just loved interviewing. Every time I'm in an interview, I'm in, unless it, there's the odd one that you just don't click, but 90% of the time we're both leaning forward. You just connect on such a deep level. It is such a privilege, and it was only a couple years ago that I realized the gifts I was getting back from it and how much I was personally changing by hearing their stories. I'm going to leave you with a really cool story. In the middle of writing my book, it should have taken me six months. It took me 12. Self-doubt, procrastination, thank goodness for a support community and a great publisher. They held my hand and, and got me through it. But there was many tears and one one tough night with my finger above the delete button ready to walk away from writing. Um, I came across a digital version of my high school yearbook. I was a miserable person in high school. I could not wait to leave. I was not a joiner. I had three women I hung out with, um, young women I hung out with. I only have contact with one, and that's only recently. I fled high school. And so I'm flipping through. I said, okay, where am I expecting just to see my little headshot? And there I was in the journalism program club. I was dead center of probably 25 people the only bright Norwegian blonde. It looked like a spotlight was shining on me, and I was grinning from ear to ear. I don't even remember being in the journalism club. So sometimes it takes us a long time. I mean, more than three decades later, I am a published author. Sometimes it takes us a long time, but if we look back, the signs are there. And that's one of the best questions that I ask people when they're trying to figure out what they want to do is, you know, what was it that you'd love to do when you were a kid? What was it that you imagined you'd be when you grew up? And a lot of times it it comes right back to that. Does it really? I I don't even remember doing this. I remember thinking it'd be fun to write, but honestly, I have no patience. I couldn't have done it before there was a computer, you know, and word process. The speed of writing, the ease of change. If I had to do it by hand or on that old typewriter, I wouldn't have made it. So writing had to come at the right time. But yeah, I, I don't even remember that moment. And and still, having seen it, I don't remember that moment. But the joy in my face was, I don't remember being joyful in high school. The joy in my face was life-changing. I mean, you just look at that going, I'm where I'm meant to be. Yeah, and that's the thing, it's timing. You know, sometimes we just have to be patient and we can't rush it because a lot of times, you know, what we have planned and what our creator has planned is two different things yep. and you just have to, you just have to, you know, tough it out, so to speak. Yeah, and it's like the bicycle. Rush. You can't head right at the post a foot ahead of you. You have to look look up the street or you'll run into everything along the way. It'll be nothing but roadblocks. There is a real issue as we get older um, that we think our time is over. We don't plan ahead. And life never stops learning. I, I may have one year, I may have 30 years, I don't know. But I look ahead 30 years and let life lead me where it takes me. We can never stop looking ahead and learning and, and, and experiencing life. 
because you might as well not be here anymore. So I think we have to let go of that number thing in terms of, yes, be aware that you may not have 50 years to develop a whole new career, but you have to look ahead and and walk that direction because there's such an amazing journey on the way, no matter how far you get. That's it. It's not over until it's over, and over means when you're dead. Well, and this came from my brother. He had Parkinson's, and so he assumed he had five good years, and then he wouldn't be able to work. And finally, his doctor said, look, you're doing really well. You've already had five years. You know, you got to quit putting a time limit on it. You're my star patient. And he says, wow, I've got to quit planning for six months at a time. And that's so true. We don't know what our path, how long it is. But you have to, to look ahead and, and walk and, and set goals and aim and learn and enjoy life and experience it. And, and let the end come when it comes. It'll come. You don't have to worry about it. But don't stop living before it's there. Perfectly said. Well, Marilyn, <laughs> yeah, that, 150 that people are speaking to you through me. I'm channeling them. Yeah, I was not you. this person even five years ago. Five years ago, I was a mess. So uh, thank goodness for growth and thank goodness for the privilege of finding what I was meant to do because it's finally changed me. I I am so happy where I'm at. And uh, it doesn't mean every day is happy. It means I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that's a really good place to be. Yeah, and I'm really happy for you. And Marilyn, I'd like to say thank you for coming on the show again and for sharing your really inspiring story. Um, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or you know find out more about your book, where could they go? It's at Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble's in the U.S. It is at Amazon.ca and Chapters Indigo in Canada. I also have a website under MarilynRWilson.com. That's great, and I'll also include that in the show notes so that they can find you there. And like always, Life Warriors, go out there and live life to your fullest, and I'll catch you on that battlefield that we call life. And don't forget to subscribe so that you'll be notified when the latest episodes are released.